Hello, dear listeners. Just a heads up that today's episode includes conversations around the topics of sex and spirituality. Feel free to skip this one if that's not your cup of tea. Hi, y'all. This is Julia Paganelli Marine, and this is Beep Bomb Presents. I'm here in the studio today with Jane Blunchy. Jane and I met when we were in grad school. Jane was in her fourth year of the fiction writing MFA program. And then I was in my first year, a little baby poet, (laughs) a wee poet. Um, And Jane and I were also in a book club together where we read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy books. And Jane introduced me to a lot of gay dystopian literature. Yeah. Yeah. That was in the before times. That was like in 2018, 19, where we didn't really even know what dystopia was quite yet. (laughs) (laughs) It was different. It was a different kind of dystopia. It certainly was. It felt like a more innocent, soft dystopia. (laughs) So... Jane, you just came out with a novella this year. Yes. Will you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. It's called Mon du Love, and it's out on Texas Review Press. It was the winner of the 2022 Clay Reynolds Novella Prize. (laughs) It came out in um, March of 23, and it's a story set in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about two queer sisters who um, insist on making a lot of terrible romantic choices and um, living into their fullest expression as fabulous and approaching middle-aged lesbians. Why do you write about making bad romantic decisions? (laughs) I do it a lot in my fiction and in my creative nonfiction. This is a good question. Um, I have done that. (laughs) I'm not writing about my life when I do that, but I do think I'm working through some things. I also have noticed that I let my characters risk more emotionally in some areas of life than I'm willing to do. You know what I Mm. mean? Um, And sometimes they get away with things a little better than I have in real life. Like the heartache or the dignity, the frustration and the upset and the disappointment feels mundane. But on the page, you can make it kind of sexy or interesting (laughs) or exciting in a way. You know, um, I like writing about heartbreak a lot. I like writing about people getting their feelings hurt. Why do you like writing about that? I'm not sure. One thing I do want to say is that I usually don't know what something is going to be about until I'm done writing it. And I don't question my urge to write something. I just go with it. And in my fiction writing, I've written primarily about the same, like a handful of the same characters since Gosh, maybe 2010. We're just not done with each other. And so I'm not about my relationship with them. My observations about them are the relationship, I suppose. And I just sort of let those stories unfold the way they want to. And usually they're about interpersonal relationships like the the real messy, juicy stuff, you know, romantic relationships and also sibling stuff and uh, parent-child relationships. You know, there's almost always a mother somewhere, you know, in my work. Yeah. Relationships are really interesting. I think romantic relationships are really interesting because they give us room to be dynamic versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think I'm often surprised at the things that are drawn out of me in a romantic relationship. Yes. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, interesting, Julia. You you did it that way. Cool. That's a choice. (laughs) I know. 
But you said that out loud, Jane. I'm not, yes. I it, it shows you yourself in a really interesting way. Yeah. I allow myself to be much more vulnerable with people that I'm dating or involved um, with romantically. And that is not always the right thing to do. Like sometimes I'm more vulnerable with them or willing to be more open than I am with some of my close friends. And I don't know them as well. Like, what is that? I think that's what we're trained to do, right? Yeah. It's one of those ideas I think exists within us that our romantic partners are supposed to be the people we're most vulnerable with. I think that's right. And we're supposed to be able to go deep and like get serious and all this other stuff too. And like in order to do that, somebody has to know you. So you have to risk the knowing a lot. We manage our images, whether we know it or not, whether we want to or not, you know, we're putting our best foot forward or we're sending our representative and what I've noticed about some of my intimate relationships and some that I've observed is that you send your representative, but also <laughs> there's this expectation like that you're going to let these folks see you at your lowest, <laughs> you know, or mm -hmm. like um, help you when you need help. And it's like, I've known you for eight weeks. I should be calling this friend of mine that I've known for 11 years <laughs> you know, with this other yeah. thing. Yeah. And that leads to a buffet of feelings, <laughs> anxiety primarily. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so true. So you've told me before that in your writings, both spiritual autobiography and writing gay sex yeah. are two of the things that you write the most. Oh, yeah. They're my preoccupations in writing. I guess let's get into the first one first. Sure. What does it mean to you to write the spiritual? Yeah. I grew up in Louisiana, immersed in Catholicism, immersed in a culture that uh, embraces mystery and like miracles are natural and mystery is normal. And I have to say there were things about it that I gravitated toward deeply because there were a lot of mysteries in my life when I was growing up. I was adopted when I was born. And one of my greatest longings was to know my biological family. They were a mystery to me. And um, I came out when I was 20. I didn't have any real role models of other queer people when I was growing up. There was like the guy who did my grandma's hair and maybe the softball coach in my high school, maybe, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so my feelings toward like, you know, my friends were dating boys and the, all of that was so mysterious to me. Who will I love? You know, that was mysterious to me. Mm. And so tied into that were these sort of like complicated experiences with religion. And I can't say they were all negative because I leaned into the weirdness of it. I love the grotesquerie of it and the complication of it and the myth and fable of it all. And I decided really early on in my coming out that even though the messages I was getting from like the tradition that I grew up with were like, you don't belong here. There's no way you could because of this part of you. I just decided that I didn't believe that. Like, how could that be? Because I knew how I felt. And um, I love ritual and routine. You know what I mean? Like part of Mondu Love takes place in um, an adoration chapel, like Eucharistic adoration is a tradition I grew up in. And basically what it is, is um, 
you, the ones that I went to, the adorations out chapels I went to uh, are attached to a church. And it's like a small little chapel with pews, candles, and an altar. And on the altar is the communion host and the monstrance. And you stay there and you pray and you look at that and you think about the Eucharistic sacrifice or whatever. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like... I grew up in a place where that was super common, right? And I try, I've tried to find that around here in Northwest Arkansas. It's not available as far as I know. That sort of weirdness really resonates with me because... Why do you crave that? I don't know. It's like uh, the thing that I think about a lot when I'm in that sort of environment is how metal it is. You know what I mean? Like the body, the blood during mass in the Catholic tradition and some others, there's a moment where the person who's uh, blessing the bread and the wine, there's like a turning point where there's supposed to be this transformation supposed to occur. And um, I love that that can happen because you said so and everybody agrees. And we've set aside this place um, and we're all here for the same reason. We're super into it. You know, you can that translates into a lot of life experiences. You know, when I started writing, I did not know what I was going to write about or why. Mm -hmm. And I felt very drawn to writing about some of my experiences with spirituality and religion. And a lot of them were tied up in addiction and uh, sobriety. And I was super interested in it. The work felt lively to me. I did not require myself to explain much. I just went for it. And um, I feel very good about the work. I wrote an essay in 2021 called um, Stories of Padre Pio that's about Padre Pio. And it's also kind of about stigmata, which is a topic that's fascinated me my whole life. And it took years for that essay to form in me. Mm. I knew I wanted to write it. I didn't think about what people would think about it or if they would know what it was. Because a fit reader will go and look that up or ignore it, you know. The spiritual autobiography for me kind of transformed because... I was asked to write one. I've been asked to write one more than once in my life. And it was sort of in a formal context. When I sat to write it, I found myself drawn to those freaky stories again <laughs> of like, mm -hmm. like bananas experiences I've had that meant a lot to me and felt sort of outside of what was expected. I don't know. Um, I've always felt like I've had special spiritual experiences, and I'm not unique in that. The most recent one I wrote was last year, and um, I did that, and that went okay. The feedback that I got, I disregarded it. The person who asked me to write it, they wanted something kind of traditional, and I can't do that. That's mm -hmm. not what that is to me. And so the stakes were pretty low, but um, I started realizing that that is for everybody. You don't have to have religion to have a spirit. Something is animating us all, you know. And also, I want to say that I fully respect people that don't believe in that. We're just electricity and flesh. <laughs> okay, that's cool. But um, I think that one of the most fulfilling parts of my relationship with myself is the permission I've given myself to push into what some of these spiritual experiences have meant to me, even though they do include things like terrible romantic choices, drugs and alcohol, um, a fraught relationship with my family. It is not a picture perfect thing. It's a mess, mm -hmm. you know, 
like I've written about this Carmelite convent in South Louisiana, a place that I absolutely dearly love. And I would sort of treat it for a while there. I treated it like my spiritual ATM. If I needed something, I was heading right there. Or I would call them and, and give them a prayer request and then I could let it go. You know what I mean? Transactions like that, I try to avoid. I want my spiritual life to be real and true. But also, I got to ask for things sometimes that I don't know where to ask for them. So I'm going to go and do that, you know. And mm. unbelievably, some of that stuff has resonated with people. I wrote um, an essay called An Orange Seed, A Tin Cup about infertility and uh, my attempts to have a baby when I was 40. Part of what saw me through that really hard experience was an image that would come to my mind uninvited. I let it happen um, and it became a touchstone for me. And it was I could imagine myself for some reason eating a piece of an orange and, you know, you get the seed um, like I would swallow the pulp and take the seed and spit it into a tin cup. And that's how I saw that whole experience. That's how I, that's where I would put my feelings about that experience. Mm. I didn't ask it to make sense. And I also know that that was a sort of spiritual comfort and an aid for me because I couldn't do it by myself. You know, I would be, I was, you know, I was highly emotional about it. Understandably. And I needed an image and I needed like a spiritual component there that could give me some relief. And I don't need it to make sense. The more mm -hmm. I try to pick it apart, the less, the less I try to figure it out, the better off I am. We'll put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you talked a little bit about the mystery of who will I love? Yeah. Kind of being an intersection for you between spirituality and sexuality. Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about that intersection? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I came out, like I said, when I was 20, and there were just a, sort of a few like little subtle experiences that I had. One of them was my friends and I had all moved down to South Louisiana, where I lived for many years, to Lafayette, Louisiana. It's a very fun place to live, and the culture is kind of celebratory, and a lot of my 20s took place like on the dance floor of a gay bar, and this was one of those nights, and we, you know... I had never been to one and my friends had maybe once or twice and they're like, let's go dance at the gay bar. And I was like, cool, let's do it. And then I walked in the door and I was like, this is it. Like, this is clicking for me. You know what I mean? Um, and then I started to understand my queerness and I, it became impossible to stay closet. I mean, I don't think I ever really was super closeted. It's just... I embraced that part of me. I started to understand it more. And I didn't have to effort at it because up to then I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. And, of course, negotiating that in terms of, like, the religion where I grew up, the attitudes and ideas of some of my people close to me, my family members, um, I had to choose. And... I'm always going to go for love. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even when it's uh, going to work out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm still yeah. willing to take the emotional risk. I think the place that spirituality and sexuality meet for me, I think, are that the places where I find truth in both of those spheres 
is also where I find joy. I think mm-hmm. I let the joy of queerness and the joy of spirituality lead me toward the truth of both of those things. Mm-hmm. That is beautiful. I think what you said earlier about like being in a gay bar for the first time uh-huh. and being like, oh, this is it. This is it. This is it. It's it's that <laughs> it's that experience of joy mm-hmm. that is like, oh, I know this now because I'm having this joyous experience. Absolutely. And it feels right. It clicked into place. And yeah. you saying that, I'm thinking right now, it's been super Queer joy has been available to me always, you know, and I run at it. But finding joy in my spiritual life, that's another story. You Interesting. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it definitely has peaks and valleys. And there are times I feel isolated and alienated and from, you know, from a higher power. I feel spiritually bankrupt or like in the valley, I should say, where, you know, my spiritual life hasn't felt as fulfilling but I think that's just part of it you know what I mean like it's part of being a person and um, I have to tend to it too and being queer I don't have to tend to that that just grows stronger in me by the minute (laughs) I don't have to do anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah (laughs) Jane thank you so much for coming to speak with me today welcome it's been such a pleasure likewise I I don't think I've been asked about these things directly to talk about these things directly and they are the things that I'm the most interested in in my writing so that feels very good thank you amazing yeah I think (laughs) um it's so helpful to have a conversation with someone who is so actively writing about both sexuality and spirituality it's part of being a person you know I think I guess yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, part of your experience of being a person and sure. mine as well. Yeah, I always want to write naturalistically about being a queer person and my, and my impressions of that or being a woman or being a person. And that includes all of that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I can feel it when I'm reading something and some of those more uh, riskier topics are avoided. I'm wondering where some of that is. You know what I mean? I, it doesn't need to be in everything, but it's important to me that my characters get to live their lives. And that includes all of the stuff we've talked about today. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Thank Jane. you. This has been B-Bomb Presents Jane Blunchy, a project of B-Bomb Arkansas and KUAF National Public Radio. I'm your host and the creator of B-Bomb Arkansas, a community writing experience for writers of all levels in Northwest Arkansas. B-Bomb Presents is directed and filmed in the Listening Lab by Emerson Alexander. Our show is produced by Micah Poor. You can stream our series at listeninglabkuaf.com or download episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Avery Martin for permission to use their song, Peach Pretender. It's a sneak peek from their unreleased EP by Avery Lee and the Sweeties, dropping in spring 2024. You can find out more about Bebalm Arkansas at bebalmarkansas.com or by following us on Instagram listener. Thank you for joining us.